I think initially, I think initially I thought that it was just like a good idea. And I think something, something's changing in me about that, in that it's, it is a good idea, but it's a necessity. In that uh, yesterday morning, we had you know, 60 people here gathered to learn and to develop and figure out how to have hard conversations. And 10 minutes in, I got a text from Amy Lyons. And she said, hey, Nate, I wanted to tell you that Mike died this morning. And that's an awkward text to get. So I want us to start, uh, before we go into stories and teaching and learning and all of that stuff that we have come to expect in a gathering like this, um, Dream Cruise 2019, baby. <laughs> I wanted us to pray for Amy. I wanted us to pray as, uh, as her community and as her family. And she doesn't know that we're doing this, and we don't need her to know that. But uh, there was a, a heaviness this morning when I woke up, and all I could think was this is the first morning. This is the first morning for Amy to wake up without um, her husband. And some of you are way closer to that experience than me. And for some, um, that, that day doesn't seem super far away. Um, and so I, I just felt like the, uh, we have an opportunity as a family to advocate for her. And so I wanted to do that this morning. And so I want to, I want to invite you to, um, to stand. And here's what, here's what I would like for you to do. As representatives, um, there are widows and widowers who are here right now. And if, if they're willing to, if you would raise your hands, um, what I'd like to do is invite our congregation to surround these who are here as representatives. And so just a step towards them from where you are. So we have a group of widows and widowers. We, they have their hands up. I know in the back. And just to direct your attention, and we're just gonna, we're just gonna pray. And uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna pray for Amy, but we're gonna, we're gonna move kind of our prayers through these representatives here. And so uh, I, I will pray, but I'm gonna ask you to pray as the, as the church, as their family. And so uh, if you wanted to get close, great. If you're gonna pray where you are, then my, I would ask that you'd extend your hand like this towards them. Um, and so let's, as, as their family, as their community, um, just, lift, just lift a prayer where you are if you have one.
That's fine. You can pray over each other. That's fine. Father, I pray for Amy. I lift her up right now. I don't know the emptiness that she bears. And so I ask your spirit to be near her. I ask your spirit to uh, fill her and to embrace her. I ask for your sweetness to come in the midst of her pain. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> so this morning we're going to have our um, teaching kind of in, in segments. And I don't know if any of you are NPR listeners, but Ira Glass I, I love Ira Glass, and I love how he's like, part one, and then later on, part two. And so I felt like, I felt like this morning had some parts to it, and so we're going to be, we're going to be hearing from um, Jay Stallman, we're going to be hearing from Kate, and, um, and I think we're going to, we'll find that there's, a, that there's a thread that might be even more personal to us than we thought. But the elders had pinpointed three uh, initiatives or three things to have our eyes on at the elder retreat. And the first one we talked about two weeks ago, which was that God was inviting us to be an inclusive people. And we talked about what that meant. We talked about uh, how incl inclusivity looks, looks a lot like family and that it looks a lot like discipleship. And so... Um, the first week we talked about inclusivity. The second week we talked about vulnerability. And we talked about making safe spaces. And the question becomes safe for who or whom. And the idea is that, that God would shape us, that we would be making this church a safe space, but also that we would be those who make safe spaces. And we, when, we're, when we're in our workplaces, when we're in our homes and our neighborhoods, that we would be those who are going with that ministry of reconciliation to be, to be peacemakers or to be peace maintainers. And that a lot of that comes through us taking risk and sharing who we are because it's in that vulnerability that we're able to make real and intimate connection. And so that was the, the second. The third one, and what we're looking at this week is that, is this idea of masterpieces. And so if you were with us for the Made for More series, we talked about masterpieces. We talked about that each one of us is a masterpiece. And the, the text that's associated with it is Ephesians 2. It's a beautiful text, and so I'm going to read it this morning before we move on. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 8, if you want to follow, it says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. 
It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The word masterpiece jumped out to our elders. And it jumped out to our elders, out to our elders as having more significance than to just the Made for More series, but that actually there were stories that were starting to come to the surface in this community that were connected to being a masterpiece. One of them that I'll highlight for you, and I, sadly, I've not seen Daryl since two weeks after Daryl was here for church. But Daryl came in and felt like God had encouraged him to share his story. And he came in in the middle of the service, and he came in in a huff, and Daryl attracts attention because he's a very strong and, I would say, gorgeous man who likes to dance in the streets, and he has an energy about him. And Daryl came up, and Daryl started to share his story. And at the end of his story, um, he was so overwhelmed with emotion. And he went to the back, and I thought he left. But at the end of the service, Daryl came up to me, and he, he, his statement to me was this. He said, because you let me talk in front of the church, some of those people will say hi to me and not be afraid of me at Starbucks. That's the type of masterpiece work that we believe God is inviting us to be part of here at Genesis. And so this morning, I wanna I want to share with you the definition of a masterpiece is this. It's defined as a work of outstanding artistry, of skill, and of workmanship. A masterpiece is known as a person's greatest piece of work. And the scripture says that you are God's masterpiece. The scripture says that I am God's masterpiece. That we are an outstanding, artistic, skillful workmanship. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm God's masterpiece. Good, good. Some of you needed to be reminded of that this morning, right? I mean, this is really great news for us that we're God's masterpiece because the enemy of our soul would like us to believe otherwise, that we're a mistake, that we're to this or not enough that, that we don't look a certain way, we don't fit a certain image. And all of that is just to try and drive us into isolation so that we don't actually experience family, intimacy, community. But the issue that the elders were highlighting for us was a little bit different than the statement, I'm a masterpiece. 
and many of you would know this, there may be people in your home that live with you or people at your work that definitely already know that they're masterpieces. <laughs> and the truth is, they actually need to be reminded that everybody else is masterpieces. <laughs> and we, we laugh because it's uncomfortable, but it's absolutely true. It is true that God has placed immeasurable worth on us. It's shown on the cross. It's shown in the price that Jesus would pay that we might be raised with him in life eternal. But that scripture says that we can't take credit for it because it was a gift. And it wasn't based on our worthiness. It was actually based on our unworthiness. And therefore, for us to really live out the concept of people being masterpieces, for us to live and embody that good news of salvation, it actually has to do with the way that we view and treat others. It's the gospel in our context, and it's not that we live in easy, conflict-free environments. We're supposed to be living out this gospel, valuing others as masterpieces in the very real life-struggling areas, in the very spaces where we hurt each other, and under the influence of a deceiver who's always saying to us who has the most value. And they're usually the ones that we think can benefit us the most. And so today, I wanted to highlight two stories that I believe are practices of how we step into viewing others as masterpieces. And so today we're gonna to hear from Jay and we're gonna hear from Kate. And so to get us kind of primed on this, this, watch this video as Jay comes forward. You know, if you've traveled the world, you know that there's these wonder lists, like the seven ancient wonders of the world, and there's the seven modern wonders of the world. And, and if you're a kind of a bucket list kind of person, and you like to travel like I do, you look and go, I want to see some of these wonders. And one of them that invariably makes all the lists is the Taj Mahal in India. And uh, my wife and I have had the privilege to spend extensive time in India over the years, a part of a church planting movement there. And so I, I can remember clearly the first time we went to see the Taj Mahal. It is stunning. It, it took 22,000 laborers over 20 years to craft this amazing masterpiece. It was a symbol of endless love of a Mughal ruler who his wife that was most precious to him died during childbirth and he built this as a symbol of their eternal love and it's this beautiful white marble and during the day it literally glimmers like a diamond. There are literally countless of thousands of these semi-precious stones that have been inlaid into beautiful intricate patterns and at night it glows like a pearl. And a former president once said this, there are two types of people in the world, those who have seen the Taj and those who haven't. Now, the first time we were there, something kind of weird and awkward happened, okay? 
as we were touring, there weren't very many Westerners there. It was mostly local tourists. And so they thought we were quite novel. So while we were there, we got asked to have our picture taken with local people, not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, not five times, not six times, seven different times. People were like, can we have our picture taken with you? Like total strangers. And it's kind of that weird, awkward moment. It's like, I'm a Hoosier. Like, why do you want my picture? You know? And, and especially when the Taj Mahal is here, right? And I said after the seventh time, I looked at my wife and I was like, honey, it's just so frustrating that they, they all keep mistaking me for Brad Pitt. I'm so sorry that, you know. And she rolled her eyes just like you did, you know. <laughs> but you know what I actually thought about? It's like Jesus put his arm around me and he's like, what do you think I would be most fascinated if I was here? What do you think I'd want to take a picture of? The Taj Mahal? or all the other masterpieces that I created. There it goes. There it goes. Okay. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Jay Stallman. Um, I've been a member of this community for about five years now, um, with a one-year hiatus uh, when we lived abroad in Germany. Um, we've got, I think I've got some pictures. We can probably throw the first one up there. Yep. So this is my family, my wife, Svetlina, and my two sons. Uh, Theo is the older one, and Max is the younger one. Um, and uh, my wife is from uh, the great nation of Bulgaria, which is why that flag is up there. Um, and yeah, I was invited to share today uh, because I've got a, a bit of a unique upbringing. Um, I, was, uh, I grew up with twin younger brothers with disabilities. Um, they were both born about three months premature um, and had severe cerebral palsy. And um, one of them died in 2014, and then the second one died about 16 months later. Um, just before their 22nd birthday and then um, just after their 23rd birthday. Names were Mark and Eric. Uh, so I'm going to tell my story a little bit and hopefully some of these lessons um, can be applicable to you. Before I start though, it's just, I want to thank Nate and Bo for thinking of me and the elders. Um, it's a, just a unique blessing, I think, because um, last week was their, about six days ago, was their birthday, August 12th. Um, and it was the five-year anniversary of Mark's passing. And my parents are actually in town, so I get to share this with the family. And um, just it's one of those things that it's not doesn't feel like a coincidence. It definitely feels like it was meant to be. Um, I'm also a little bit slow today because um, Tuesday is my 30th birthday, and my wife threw me a surprise party last night. <laughs> <laughs> so got home around two in the morning and uh, not firing all, on all cylinders today. So okay, we've already got the second picture up there. That's great. <laughs> So like I said, um, I had two younger brothers with severe disabilities. Um, they were born when I was three years old, so I was an older brother, but I don't really remember life without them. Um, and I don't really remember what it was like without them being around. They were definitely formative in my upbringing, right? Um, and my parents did just a wonderful job um, of, I think you can actually go back one picture if you could. Yeah, there we go. 
So we, we never used disabilities as an excuse in our house, right? I mean, it was always challenging having wheelchairs and support staff and whatnot, but it was always just what we did. It was business as usual, right? And so we would go out. I mean, it was almost overcompensating <laughs> on my parents' part because they made sure that we had full childhoods, right? Between um, playing sports and uh, summer camp, even the boys went to summer camp up in the Rocky Mountains. I'm from Denver originally, which explains the Rockies photos, but we would, they would go out and, and we'd go horseback riding, we'd go swimming, we would do everything that every other kid would do. Uh, just it was in between, um, you know, therapy sessions and doctor's appointments and medical emergencies. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit about my brothers, and you can go to the next picture now, um, and just sort of introduce you to them, right? And so cerebral palsy is a disability that, um, uh, the best way I can describe it is effectively it severs the relationship between your brain and your limbs, right? So like they were fully functional and mentally alert and cognitively there, right? They had personalities, they were dynamic young adults, um, but they just couldn't communicate and control their bodies, right? So. Um, Eric is on your left up there, holding the baseball. Um, he, um, well both of them as you can see, right, were wheelchair bound. Um, and they required feeding tubes directly into their stomachs um, to eat. And um, typically required pr pretty comprehensive personal care. So, you know, effectively that meant that we had support staff and nurse, nurses, night nurses in the house 24-7. So it was like a, you know, sixth family member effectively. Um, and um, Eric on, on the left um, could move his arms. He had fairly good body control when he was young, you know, before the, dis it's, it's a degenerative disability. I should, you know, clarify that as well. So it gets worse as you get older. Um, but he used to crawl around the house when he was like five years old, like he could get around a little bit. Um, he started speaking, I don't know, when he was seven or eight. Um, and he learned to speak by listening to Radio Disney. And so uh, he was tried to be a DJ in everything that he did, right? And, and you know, DJs, if you listen to the radio for four or five hours at a time on a long car ride, very repetitive. Just say the same things, same plugs, you know, same commercials, same, same pitches every, you know, over and over and over and over. And so once he started speaking, he just never shut up. It was terrible. Uh, <laughs> and he was emotionally functional at probably like a five or a six-year-old level. I mean, so there was some challenges there about coping with um, his disability. He was very aware of his limitations. Um, he was frightened by it sometimes and concerned um, that he had to rely on other people and like what if he you know, accidentally drove his wheelchair off of a curb or something and couldn't get up, right? We were very real fears that we dealt with. Um, and then growing up and becoming a man and, and stepping into that um, was a, was a big, big evolution for him. Personality-wise, he just loved sports. So, like I mentioned, the Radio Disney, he would never miss a Rockies game. I mean, he would watch every single 162 games a year um, and would act as a broadcaster. So, at the end of the inning, he would have to be like, sorry, I have to do my sign-off, right? And that's third out for the Rockies, going into the bottom of the fifth, and it's up three to two, right? It was unbelievable. Um, and he was very outgoing. He loved to make people laugh, and he actually had a long-time girlfriend, long-term girlfriend, and he got engaged right before he passed away. So he was...
Thank you. Well done, well done, crisis management. Um, exactly. So Mark um, on the right up there had more complex um, sort of motor function disabilities. He couldn't really control his body at all. He really even struggled to learn to control his head um, to some extent. He was nonverbal. Um, he learned to communicate with the help of a computer and there was a little button, a little switch that he would wear on his wheelchair on the side of his head where he could like toggle through options, right? So he'd touch the switch and it would go through a list of things that he wanted to say. Um, and um, yeah, in terms of personality, he just had a wicked sense of humor, right? It, he just, the best day, part of his day was whenever Eric got in trouble. Like, he just loved to laugh at other people's, you know, you know <laughs> unfortunate events. He loved watching blooper reels of, like, people running into each other playing sports. Um, and he loved a good surprise. Like, I mean, he was always trying to, like, spook people and, and catch people off guard. Uh, he was also very patriotic. Um, our uncle was his godfather. He was in the military for a long time, and he just loved the country, loved the national anthem, and was involved in the community theater program. So he loved, he was an actor. Um, he loved entertaining and making people feel, feel good. Um, and yeah, they were my brothers. I mean, like anybody with siblings, right? We didn't always get along. We, we fought, we played together. We had our own relationships, our inside jokes. And um, I mean, I was probably more involved in their personal care than most people are of their own siblings, but it wasn't anything unusual. Um, so they passed away. Um, it was hard. It was, it was losing a, a sibling. And um, I was, we were lucky enough. They were staples in the community. I mean, again, my parents, my mom is now an advocate, full-time advocate at the state capitol. Um, and works as a consultant for other families with disabilities and made sure that they, again, they were never wanted for anything. And, and made sure the laws of Colorado changed to make it happen, right? And um, so they were well known. At each of their funerals, over 300 people attended. I can't even imagine having 300 people attend. I had a surprise party last night. I had 20 people show up, but I felt like the luckiest man in the world. Is. <laughs> um, so I got to speak at both of their ceremonies, um, and I got to tell, share their story, uh, much like today and to just tell about our lives together. Um, and it's always a, an opportunity to reflect on what you learned and what shaped you growing up. And so there's three things that I really wanna share with the church this morning about what I learned growing up with brothers with disabilities. And the first one is that um, people are people. And it doesn't matter the way they look, it doesn't matter where they come from, it doesn't matter the level of their ability, everybody deserves to be treated with respect and dignity, right? Regardless of there's no earning it, right? Just like God, God made us all masterpieces. Um, the second one is to carry yourself with a sense of humility, right? Because there's something very humbling about and vulnerable um, about living with disabilities because you're always at other people's mercy. I mean, and we were lucky enough to have great support staff and nurses and people who were angels in our lives. Um, and and you, can't, you can't take it for granted, right? It's just you live with this sense of humility um, and understanding that you put yourself, you know, put other people before yourself and realize that nothing, everything's a blessing, right? I think that's something very practical that we can take into the world um, on a day-to-day -day basis is remembering that we are not everything that we think we are, right? I mean, we walk around and we have great houses, great cars, great lives. Um, we're lucky to have people in our lives who love us. Um, and don't take it for granted, 
right? Carry yourself with a sense of humility. And the last one is a sense of joy. Just, just celebrate things, right? I mean, even if it's something as simple as like learning head control and hitting a switch with the side of your head, like that's a major milestone. And so don't ever take that type of stuff for granted ever, right? And, and when you have something that's worth celebrating, make sure you appreciate it and appreciate it as if it it's, won't happen again because it's not going to last forever, right? Regardless of whether your ability to walk or your ability to talk or things like this, it can't be taken for granted. So it needs to be appreciated. So again, um, humility and joy um, and, and perseverance as well. Never give up attitude to continue to fight um, to build your lives and build the lives of others and continue to grow as human beings. Um, I think those are the three things that I really, really take with me and carry with me every day, um, remembering my brother's legacy. So again, thank you for giving me this opportunity to share. It's fun uh, that my parents were here to be involved with this and my wife. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's important to pass along their legacy and to continue to remember them even though they've gone for five, four years now, four or five years. Um, and so, thank you. Hey, Robbie, can you throw up the last picture? Because I don't think we got to see that. And there's a killer mustache in it. So I want, uh, there we go. Killer mustache. Kate, I want to invite you up. How awesome was that? Um, let's, let, let's pray for them. Let's pray for their family because that was a gift to us. And so, Lord, we just, we pray your blessing, your continued blessing on their family and um, the way that you have breathed life into that story for us this morning. I can't, um, I can't imagine the way that uh, you've used it across in all of those relationships. And so we just praise you, Lord, for your uh, support, your mercy um, on this family. And we ask for your continued, your spirit to continue to empower them, fill them. And um, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for blessing us. Amen. Am I on now? Okay, perfect. Even though I have this thing, don't worry, I have a nine minute talk. <laughs> so, <laughs> just in case you guys are. Um, so he's gonna throw up a slide. It's the end of the verse that Nate had already brought up, the Ephesians 2.10. So this is really what God has been driving home for me this last year. And so again, I'm gonna read it, that we are God's masterpieces. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So I work as a mental health therapist and I have ample time and opportunity to practice seeing others as masterpieces. After a study in Ephesians, I decided to try to be really intentional with all of my clients. I'm gonna use female pronouns here um, because I work primarily with females, but I also apply this to the men that I see. So I began to say things in my head like, when, I, when they were sitting across me, Father, that is your daughter. She is your masterpiece. Let me see her that way. And then sometimes, as my clients are sharing super difficult traumas and being very vulnerable, I would just sit in awe and just say, man, she is your masterpiece. 
And so when I shared this with Nate at the elder retreat, that this has been my practice over the last year in therapy, he reminded me of a psychologist named Carl Rogers, and Rogers was the one who stipulated that to be effective in therapy, we have to have unconditional positive regard for the person across from us. And so this is just basic acceptance and support. And Rogers believed that people were inherently good and creative, but it, they became destructive or unhealthy only when a poor self-concept or external constraints overrode their valuing process. So we take that and I apply that with a Christ-centered perspective. I interpret it as the brokenness of this world and of family systems and the influence of Satan has led so many people to believe the lies, lies that Nate kind of talked about earlier, lies like I'm not enough, I'm not wanted, I'm not capable, and so on. But we too have those feelings about others. We look at others and say, they're not enough, they're not worthy, they're not lovable, they're not capable. But if I am to have unconditional positive regard for each client that sits across from me, the way I do this is not by working harder to try to have unconditional positive regard, but rather asking the Father to show me his heart for that person. So sometimes I say over and over during session, she is yours, you see her as masterpiece, you call her daughter, and I believe that's the best way that my clients can feel and sense that I have unconditional positive regard for them because the Father does and he changes my heart towards them. So I was driving to work two weeks ago when Bo texted me to see if I would share about this for a few minutes on Sunday. His timing, or I should say God's timing, was classic because I was about to see my hardest, most difficult client. So I had reached a point of frustration with her and felt that each hour was a challenge. So I prayed on my way to the session and it went something like this. All right, Lord, I'm going to ask you to continually speak to my heart about how you see her today, that I would see her as masterpiece, as daughter, as yours. So the client that I was talking about, she's an, she says atheist slash agnostic. And I kid you not, it was one of our best sessions. Um, so God totally honored my desire to see her as he does. We were doing an activity that didn't require a lot of talking, so I put on some quiet music. And she said, are you gonna put on Christian music? She knows I'm a Christian. And I said, well, no, of course not. <laughs> You're not a Christian, I'm not gonna put on Christian music. And we that started to open up dialogue that I believe would not have happened if I hadn't been postured to the Father on the way there. She began to ask some really hard spiritual questions to me about God and suicide and about if Satan was real. And the questions happened so organically, I just was like, this is so God and how he longs for her heart to be changed. Um, so anyways, as she's asking me that, I got to share about a God who weeps with those who are depressed and I got to tell her about him and that he is near to those who are broken and that he wishes he could change the way she saw herself so she could see herself the way he does. And it was just, I was just like, Lord, your timing, your goodness, even though I see her as difficult, you see her as daughter. And it's through me asking that. We, it was a wonderful session. And then the next couple ones I haven't dreaded or not, like I actually look forward to them because I'm like, God, clearly you have a plan for her. So it's easy for me to view the easy clients as masterpieces just like it's easy to view my favorite relative as a masterpiece or my easiest neighbor as a masterpiece. But a thought came, thought of something we learned in our study of the discipleship program, some of you guys are aware of this, came to mind. So on the slide up here, in this learning, the father is at the top of the triangle 
and imparting our identity as beloved daughter or son is his flow, and then out of knowing and believing our true identity as being his, we naturally move towards obedience. Too often we think, fill in the blank, if I was more sacrificial, more obedient, knew more scripture, was perfect, then we get to earn our identity and we go backwards. And so this next slide is it going backwards. But God is saying, no, it's not by your performance that I call you son or daughter, and then you have access to me. He says, you are mine, and we move towards obedience out of this identity. So this is how God has been shaping me. I work out of the opposite one when I work with hard people. I feel like you have to act or behave in such a manner, essentially making it easy for me to work with you or make progress with you or to be with you, then I view them in positive light that they have worth. And I think we do that a lot with people that are hard in our lives, is we think, when you start to act like this and prove your worth and make it easy for me to be with you, then you have worth. And so God has really been working on my heart to say, that is not the flow that I designed the way I see you, and that is not what I'm asking you to do as my disciple. I'm asking you to mimic my flow. And so, I am longing and working on seeing all the hard ones and the easy ones as masterpieces solely because God speaks that over them, not because they've earned it in my eyes. So while this is going well in therapy practice because it feels very much like a controlled environment to practice this, I don't often translate this to other scenarios or situations. The person holding up the line at a store or someone triggering me on Facebook or politicians. Um, my hope is that God will use this teaching and training that he's doing in my office to over, in my heart to begin to overflow into all areas of life with all people I encounter. So the other day, the same client was in my office, and I do a form of therapy that doesn't require conversation for many 30-second increments. And so during that time, I take time to pray over my clients. And the sun was shining during the last session, I had with her, and you know when you have like a renegade hair that just sticks up like a broken piece of hair? And she had this, it, the sun like hit this piece of hair in such a way when I was praying over her, and I got like such a clear sense, he brought to mind that verse about him numbering the hairs on our heads. And I knew that he was saying that about her um, to continually soften my heart towards her. Um, so the, the verse that, that it was the verse that came to mind was, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet, none of one of, not, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are numbered. Do not be afraid, you are worth more than sparrows. Of course, he chose that time and shined the light on her hair to highlight her worth to me. Sparrows don't do anything to earn God's care or compassion or concern, and neither do we have to. He says we are masterpieces, and if we are trying to look more like Jesus' disciples, then we have to engage in this prayer, a prayer that asks the Holy Spirit to change the way we see people, to see them as he does. Again, it's easy to see the easy people as masterpieces, those who look like us, those who think like us, those that are not on the margins of society. But think of who Jesus stepped towards to show that he thought of them as more, those on the margins, the lepers, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the desolate, so in a minute, I'm gonna ask you to think of the person or people who do not look like a masterpiece to you in your life. You may have immediately thought of one of your kids, and I, I wish that was a joke, but I know that there is a lot that say, I don't see my kid as masterpiece. A coworker, an in-law, the person right next to you, or someone else in this church, someone that you've judged, someone that you felt like, if they weren't at church, it'd be much easier to be here. 
And I'm gonna ask that God would change your heart and your posture to them, that you would have more grace as you see them more and more like the Father sees them. Because this is the inclusive hope and direction that our church is longing to move in. But as Nate was sharing in the meeting beforehand and even up here a little bit, there are some of you who, who are like, how can I start to see other people as masterpiece when I don't even see myself as masterpiece? And so as I'm saying, bring someone to mind who you don't see as masterpiece, you might say, like, all I see is myself, as someone without value. And so I'd say before you can do anything and see other people as masterpiece, you have to believe that God is speaking that to you. Now, how do you do that, right? The only way you do that is you go to the Father in quiet and you say to him, who do you say I am, God? I feel like I am nothing like a masterpiece. I feel broken, I feel empty, I feel lonely, whatever you're feeling, and you just say, I see myself as not worthy, not capable, not lovable. And you sit with him, and I promise you he will speak to you. And if you hear something that is not good or not positive or not affirming, that is not the Father's voice. And if you can't hear, you go to somebody who you know is hearing from the Father and you say, go to the Father on my behalf and you tell me how he sees me. That's what we do as a community here. If you can't hear from the Father, then you go to somebody who does and we pray with you and we listen on your behalf. And we hear what he says about you. So you may be the person that needs to hear, I'm a masterpiece from the Father. And you may be the person that needs to hear that person that you are really having a hard time with is masterpiece. So I'm just gonna pray and whatever way you're leaning, I just pray that the Father will speak to that and will minister to the areas of your heart that need that. So Father, um, you are an inclusive God who sees the broken, sees the messiness of our lives and you say you are a masterpiece. Father, would we believe that truth so out of that truth of our own identity would it overflow to the people in our lives that you bring specifically to mind right now? God, and it's not our efforts that we would see them more as masterpiece, but God, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would change us, change our hearts so that it's not our efforts, Lord, but the Holy Spirit working through us. So Father, we know you are kind and merciful and that you have so much grace for every person that, Lord, you number the hairs on everyone's head. And so God, let us believe that we have that worth and everyone else does too. So thank you, Father, because you are good to us. In Jesus' name, amen.